welcome back to Return to Odyssey. I'm Rachel. And I'm Josh, and we're back to overanalyze another Adventures in Odyssey episode for your listening pleasure. This episode is brought to you by Audible. So if you follow our link in the show notes, you can start a free trial and download two free audiobooks today. And the audiobook that we have recommended today is O. Henry Complete Short Stories Collection. Because today's episode is based on a short story by O. Henry. O. Henry was, of course, an American author. His real name was William Sidney Porter. Classic short stories known for the twist endings. Oftentimes humorous, sometimes serious and dark. Sometimes, like, you never know what you're going to get with one of his stories. Always entertaining. This particular story you probably have heard of. The episode title is Gifts for a Magi Guy, and it's a spoof off of his story Gifts of the Magi. Which is a story that probably most of you are familiar with. Mm-hmm. It's one of those stories that's been retold about a zillion times. Every TV show ever has done yeah. an episode based on Gifts of the Magi. And it was originally published, actually, in 1905, November 10th, 1905, in the New York World, which was a publication that ran from 1860 through 1931. And at the time, it was under the editorship of Joseph Pulitzer, of Pulitzer Prize fame, which Mm -hmm. is a prize for literature and journalism and stuff. Yeah. Um, So anyway. So it's kind of part of that American cultural soup we all swim around in. Probably it's on the level of... Dickens Christmas Carol when it comes to like stories about stories Christmas, about Christmas that you read yeah yeah and so but if you're not familiar with the story let's give a real quick version of what it is okay. you've got a young couple man and woman named Jim and Della who are very very poor but very very much in love they're married and Della is upset because she has no money to buy her husband a Christmas gift and it's Christmas Eve and she's got only like a dollar ninety seven cents to her name. So she comes up with the idea that she can sell the only thing that she owns. They actually only own two things that are valuable. One of them is Jim has a pocket watch that he loves. It's an heirloom and she has long beautiful hair and she decides that she can go to a barber and get her hair cut and sell it to someone to make wigs. And that will give her money to buy a Christmas present for her husband. Mm-hmm. So she goes out and buys him a nice watch chain for his pocket watch. While unbeknownst to her, he has in the meantime sold his pocket watch so that he can buy her these fancy combs to hang in her hair. Exactly. So they get to the end and there's the big reveal about, I sold my hair to buy your watch chain. I sold my watch to buy your combs. And there's... Kissing and I love you so much. Yeah, and Christmas love and uh, all that stuff. It's very sweet. It's very funny. Although the short story is funny in a very toned down kind of way. There's tons of irony and tons of humor, mm-hmm. but it's it's a subdued kind of humor. It's very more... Yeah, gentle. It's more a witty, I see what you did there kind of thing. The Odyssey episode based on this, this is one of my favorite comic episodes. This is an for both of us. This was one we remembered. I don't even remember the frame story around it because it doesn't happen in Odyssey per se. No, it happened in its own weird side universe. Gifts for Magi Guy. That was actually my introduction to Gifts of the Magi. Yeah, I don't know where I first heard the story. I think I might have... I might have actually read the original, for all I know. Maybe. I didn't read the original until high school. Or seen the Sesame Street version, <laughs> or, 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 so, or some Mouse, such thing. Mickey Mouse did it? I think that came after my time. Yeah, whenever I taught this story to kids in my high school class, they were always like, I think I saw a Mickey Mouse cartoon on that. Oh, and right. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. I, I guess so. That would be very strange. Oh, I don't know. Mickey Mouse was actually my introduction to A Christmas Carol. There was a Mickey Mouse version, which, weird trivia, Jacob Marley in that is Goofy, who is voiced in that special by Hal Smith, Mr. Whitaker. Hi! There you go. Uh, so, weird connections. Uh, because everything connects to Odyssey. And because Hale Smith was in every everything kid's cartoon in the 80s and 90s yeah. and 70s, and he was just great. Anyhow. Circling back around to cir- this, this <laughs> particular episode. Back to this episode. Like I said, this was a standout comic episode to me, mm-hmm. out of the early ones at least. Yeah. 
And it's a standout and an outlier for Odyssey. In general, they don't do this kind of thing super often. No, every now and then it crops up. Most of the comedy in Odyssey tends to be more character-driven. This one is outrightly farcical. Yes. And really, it's a cartoon that you listen to. Something on the level of Looney Tunes or Animaniacs. It's very, very fast-paced. Joke after joke Mm -hmm. after joke. Which we had better get into the episode proper before we delve deep into the comedy writing. Yeah. Because we're going to get there. By the way, guys, we know... It's August right now, and we're doing a Christmas episode in August. We don't even have the excuse of doing Christmas in July. We just decided that rather than doing these episodes seasonally, we were just going to do them chronologically as they come in the album. It probably did originally air around Christmas. I would guarantee that it did. Yeah. So bear with us. Christmas 1987. Christmas is worth being celebrated all the time. So Agreed. Yes. (laughs) So let's begin talking about the episode itself with Chris's opening statements Mm -hmm. in her intro. She starts off by saying that we're going to take a look at the whole idea behind giving gifts. And she starts off by saying, have you ever gotten a gift that you weren't really excited about? And then we slide into, we've done this about every episode where you have an illustration, which is a small sketch of a Mm -hmm. guy who thinks he's getting a tie, which he usually gets for his kids, and he gets an inflatable 12-man life raft that somehow fit in a tie box. Yeah, he's like, oh, looks like a tie box to me. And he opens it, and you hear the sound effects of this self-inflating raft, and then he's like, thanks, everyone, a 12-man life raft? Where he's suffocating underneath this raft. It's strange non sequitur. Yeah, it's very odd. (laughs) But then Chris says that we're going to talk about the whole idea behind giving Christmas presents and learn about the greatest Christmas gift ever given. And that winds up actually paying off in the episode. It does. It does. And she then leads into one of the things that I like to do this time of year is read the Christmas story. And I always find something new to think about. For instance, have you noticed that there are two different genealogies of Jesus in the gospel? You have one in Matthew and one in Luke. And in her words, Aside from a few exceptions, there are two completely different genealogies. Do you want to know why? We'll find out at the end of the episode. Yeah, and so you've got one in Matthew and one in Luke chapter 3 that have a couple names similar, according to what she says, and then a lot of names that are different. That are very different. And she says that the Bible's God's word. There's no mistakes in it. it, So So what's going on here? And this is kind of a change-up, because she's often done this trivia thing. She's done it every episode. Uh, Can you guess who this person is? But this is a different style. This is a much more difficult question. Rather than just like, do you know our man of mystery? You know, she's not doing that. She's asking a harder question. I actually remember... As a kid, I think I was a bit older of a kid at this point, of going and checking those lists after the episode and seeing, like, okay, so what does she mean? I always ended up being confused. But we're going to get into that at the end of our episode, because that's when she actually answers the question. So she goes into the story, and I found it interesting that this time she's like, Fasten your seatbelts for another wild ride through Odyssey. We're going to have a way out tale. Yeah, why, kinda... why does she feel the need to... Letting you know it's going to be wacky. This is going to be weird. Okay. So we start with Connie and Tom and Wit and Officer Harley bringing a Christmas tree into Wit's End. Who is Officer Harley, you ask? Because we haven't talked about him yet. And turns out that he was a really, really short-lived character. He's not in there very much. No. Because parents wrote in and complained that he was not a good representation of the police force because he was a police officer, but but he was fumbling and goofy and kind of dumb. Yeah, he's got this kind of pompous delivery, but saying really dumb things. He's a character who actually evolved later for fans of the show who are familiar with characters into... Arlo Doyle, Private Eye. And that's basically Officer Harley with a different name. Mm -hmm. So he shows up in probably a couple episodes, but not much. I just think yeah. it's funny that parents were this uptight is... enough about a fictional well, character and it, they, what to write Focus in. What on the Family did was there were several episodes with Officer Harley in that were scrapped and rewritten. Yeah, they wrote him ex- out of the yeah. story. So my hypothesis is they probably, those episodes might have aired, 
But then when they decided to write them out, they rewrote them and they took they would have to re-record them out of yeah they had to re-record them. But one of them in particular uses a consistent kid character because they start having regular kid characters and one of the episodes used a regular kid character. So I wonder if the old one just wasn't used anymore and wasn't aired again and they just used that story later or those episodes hadn't aired yet so they're like well we can scrap them and rewrite them anyway this is deep fan theory um we should move on officer harley is voiced by will ryan who's eugene who is eugene which we haven't even yeah not talked about eugene yet we'll talk about him in more depth when we when Eugene is introduced as a character, I think that's a good time to talk about Will Ryan and his career. And but all yeah, that. it's kind of fun to know that he was with Odyssey very, very early. Really from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think we noticed his voice in one of the first episodes. Second even. episode of Life of a Party. He's Davy's dad. So it's fun that he was involved. And he has such an elastic bo- voice. Yeah. Like to do both Eugene Melsner and Harlow Doyle. Harlow Doyle and a number of other characters as well. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we've not even gotten in the door with this Christmas tree. They're yeah. opening the door. Connie is directing traffic, and it takes three men to carry this tree. Which must be enormous. To take three of them, yes. Yeah, so I used to work at Lowe's, and I would trim Christmas trees. It was one of my favorite things to do. I'm just a sucker for Christmas. One of the things that I had to do was families would come in and pick out a Christmas tree, and I would get the chainsaw, and I'd cut the bottom off, and I'd haul it out, and it's just me carrying the trees. It's not like it's hard to carry a Christmas tree. It's, it's a not a foot tree. You think that's yeah? It's a not. Big it's tree. not ridiculously huge. So this is taking three men to carry this tree, and they're struggling. They're having a hard time. You hear them grunting and. Yelling well, out the, instructions you, you at each other. the dialogue, the specific kind of dialogue that's going on while they're carrying the tree. The dialogue is cool to me. I really liked it yeah. because it's not the way that people would talk in the real world, but it's great for listening on the radio. It, mm-hmm. It's dialogue specifically designed to help listeners see the action as it's going. They keep saying things like, oh, the door is too narrow, or the branches are it's scraping on the carpet. carpet. Lift your end up a little bit. It's too heavy. It, and you can see them struggling to get this tree in. And oh, follow see, the in your, in in your, your mind's eye. Yeah, follow the progress of the tree into Wit's End. One note I do have to say is either this was a slip up or there is carpet in Wit's End. Yeah, the branches like are scraping the on the carpet. Worst idea ever in an ice cream shop to have carpet on the floor. How would you but, keep it clean? Yeah. It would just be awful. Maybe and Mr. Whitaker has invented a robot or something. They had they had shampooers. They did, yeah. Anyway, so they get the tree up, and Wit says, "All right, kids, decorations are in those boxes. Have at it. Let me know when you're done, and we'll put the star on the tree." And you hear the crowd of kids, "Yay! Best day ever!" So, so several thoughts on that. Actually, not only is it a cool activity mm-hmm. for the kids. I think that Wit, besides being everybody's grandpa, is also a savvy businessman in the way he runs Wit's End. Because to plan events, and you can imagine the promotion, the flyers. Oh, yeah. Hey, kids, come on such and such a day at such a, t- such we're a time. We're the setting up the tree. Yeah. And so you have a whole crowd of kids there who want to decorate the Christmas tree. And Wit's End is a place where things are constantly happening. There's mm-hmm. always something fun to do or see yeah. at Wit's End. Yeah. And it's ordinary fun. I mean, Inventor's Corner is kind of woo, and the displays are probably woo, but there's lots of ordinary fun going on at Wit's End. Yeah, ordinary, wholesome stuff. Yeah. So then they all, Wit and Officer Harley and Tom, all sit down and have eggnog, and then two kids come in, Lisa and, I'm assuming it's her brother, he is never actually named. Mm -mm. He just is there. He's just a guy. They're arguing about a Christmas gift for a friend of theirs, and Tom kind of interrupts him, like, hey, guys, that doesn't sound like Christmas spirit. What's going on? So they say, well, we're trying to figure out a gift for a friend of ours, because everything that he likes we can't afford, and everything that we could afford, he won't like. Connie makes a quip of, well, that's what credit cards are for. Ah. Yeah. But Tom, then, is the one who speaks up and is like, hey, guys, haven't you heard? It's more blessed to give than to receive. And Connie is a bit disparaging. She's like, well, yeah, everybody says that. But, you know, deep down, you're always disappointed if you get something that you didn't really want. And Officer Harley says, oh, I remember last Christmas. I really wanted the platinum-plated traffic whistle. 
All I got was this little chrome job. And he's all disappointed that he got this stupid whistle for Christmas. And all I could think of is the movie The Santa Claus, where the one guy, the The dorky, yeah, the dorky Dorky stepdad, he's disappointed. The one thing that made him stop believing in Santa Claus is because he didn't get the Oscar Mayer weenie whistle he wanted for Christmas. And it was was like three. Yeah, I don't know. It was hilarious. But he was still uptight about it as an adult, which is why it plays well in a comedy. Scarred for life by not getting a weenie whistle. With then emphasizes what Tom says, that most people now are concerned with being the givee, not the giver. So let me tell you a story about these two people named Madge and Guy. And we go into the story proper. And this is where things shift, because Wit, during this, is no longer in the role of Mr. Whitaker, particularly. He becomes really an omniscient narrator to the story world. And we don't hear from the kids, we don't hear from Connie, we don't Mm -hmm. hear from Tom... We are now sucked into the world of the story. They don't do that super often. I don't remember them doing that very often in later storytelling episodes, per se. Not really. Unless you're doing something like, it's kids radio, and then it's all within the framework of kids radio. Yeah. But this is a bit different. So, again, it may be they're experimenting... I don't know. Most of the time, it works. There's only at least one point where you got pulled out of the story. Yeah, and we'll talk about that when we get there. So anyway, we go into the story proper, and let's talk about the comedy writing. Because as we said, this is an audio cartoon, essentially. Yeah, I mentioned before that this is about as wacky as Odyssey ever gets. And it's a type of fast-paced humor writing where almost every line is some form of joke. This is the sort of writing that I mentioned in an earlier episode, one of my other favorite radio shows as a kid, was Jungle Jam and Friends, the Mm -hmm. radio show. Mm -hmm. And that was one that was also written and produced and directed by Phil Lawler, Lawler, who who was was the the Odyssey Odyssey guy. And the first episode of that came out about seven years after Adventures in Odyssey Mm -hmm. began airing. And I can't help but think that he was cutting his teeth on some of this stuff to get better at writing that it is, you type of humor. More, you use the term mature, but mature as in it's cleaner writing, it's tighter, it's funnier. Yeah, it's really just a crisper form of this form of comedy. And I think he had just simply grown as a writer. Mm-hmm. And episodes like this kind of show some of his roots. And that's some of his comic leaning mm-hmm. is toward that kind of Monty Python almost rapid fire absurdity. Yeah. So the whole story itself is full of just joke upon joke upon joke upon joke upon joke upon joke. Sitcom writing, essentially. Any sitcom that you watch, listen to, what have you, even the kind of things like Dave Barry that you read, rely on not repeated, but multiple jokes. Not all of them particularly funny but in and of themselves themselves, are taken as a whole and with the increased amount you start laughing and it gets funnier as it keeps going because it's stacked absurdity and the whole show is like that the whole show also has repetition which is all set up in this first scene with madge counting her money hold on one second before you get into the repetition the only thing that makes humor writing unfunny is overanalyzing it. Right. So we apologize in advance. You kill a joke by poking this, yeah. it too much. This, our analysis is going to be very unfunny. But the show itself is funny, so you should go listen to it. Maybe even listen to it before you listen to our, our, discussion. our discussion. But anyway. Anyway, another thing that this show does is repetition, which is set up. In this first scene with Madge counting her money. And the gal who's playing Madge actually was Chris, which Mm -hmm. that's not a usual thing. There's very few episodes where Chris plays a character in Odyssey. Just side note. She's crying, I only have a dollar and 87 cents. And her neighbor walks in and her neighbor's name is Ethel. Which the very first thing I thought of through their discussion here, mm-hmm. and the naming of the character Ethel, I don't think is an accident. No. I think it's a very specific I Love Lucy reference. Because this whole scenario would be an I Love Lucy scenario. Oh my gosh, you want to buy a nice gift for Ricky? What can you sell? Oh, I'll sell my hair. 
Sure. Oh, that's a bad idea. Yeah, that's a bad idea, Lucy. And, of course, Lucy would have these pictures of these glamorous models with their hair bobbed Uh really, really short. And she'd be like, oh, we'll look look like this. gorgeous. And she talked Ethel into it. And, of course, they go through it. And they wind up, like, skinhead bald at the end. And Lucy's like, and she can't. She's like, I love you anyway. Lucy. And she can't go on the show with Ricky and be a star if she wanted to. It absolutely it would play a classic Lucille Ball bit. Only because they're spoofing O'Henry and not I Love Lucy. They're just using the referential comedy. And Ethel is the one saying, "What can you sell to get Guy a present?" But in the course of this conversation, we have multiple kinds of comedy writing. The first one is a character missing the point, not understanding what the other person's saying. And Rachel mentioned repetition. Mm-hmm. All of these types of jokes, these are basic archetypes for how jokes are built. They all show up multiple times over so they, and over. They set up these specific jokes and then they're referenced over and over and over again throughout the show. So um, like a character missing the point would be someone picks up a newspaper and says, hey, have you seen the want ads? Want ads? No, thanks. I already have them right here. Oh, Madge, honey, you're crying. What is it? Oh, you know, it's when my face gets all red and the tears run down my cheeks. cheeks. Yeah. That's a conversational missing the point, Mm -hmm. which is fun. And they do that frequently, especially the what is it. Your face, what is it? Ah, it's this thing I keep on the front of my head. Two eyes, a nose, and a mouth. Yeah. Another thing that's common in sitcom writing is what's known as a wacky stack. And this is kind of a lowest common denominator form of writing. If you can't come up with a joke, stack words on top of each other that are funny sounding and hope that it comes out into something funny. It is not usually funny in and of itself. Yeah. But... But it's there. So theirs was Pops Top Notch Tops. We pay top dollar for top notch tops or something like that. And that's that's the name of the place where, where you can get your haircut. Where you can get your haircuts. That becomes Which, a thing yeah, because every you, time someone goes through this tongue twister of a top, title. Pops Top Notch Tops. Someone else will compliment them on the way they said the line. Nice delivery. Yeah. Thank you. Which, as a kid, I thought that was part of the slogan. Pops Top Notch Tops. Nice delivery. As in... We have a good delivery service. And that's the way I heard the joke when I was a little kid, too. It was weird, but it's yeah. listening as an adult, they're complimenting each other on how they deliver the you line. You delivered it, you didn't stumble on it. And then that whole thing becomes a repetition joke throughout, because every time somebody says that, you say, nice delivery, thank you, and kind of lampshading the wacky stack. And in a way that makes it less of a lowest common denominator, still is, but it, be, it becomes it, almost funny. It becomes almost funny. And that was actually the first time you got pulled out of the story because Mr. Whitaker is the first person that says that. Pops, top notch, tops. And then Ethel says, nice delivery. And yeah, and and says, talking to you. the narrator. So that brings us to meta jokes. And there's multiple meta humor type things that occur in this. There's a character will give a flashback and you'll oh, yeah, hear she's... someone talking in the background. Madge, I really love your hair. How do you do that? Uh, special special effects. effects. Yeah. But then talking to the narrator and the narrator talking back to the characters, it's a very classic form of meta joke. We see it in stuff like the old Winnie the Pooh mm-hmm. or... We were just talking about George of the Jungle. Oh, yeah. Today, the, the George of the, the Jungle cartoon. Yeah, anytime like that. So Jungle yeah, Jam and, and Friends. Jungle Jam and Friends does that all the time. And then you see there's newer stuff that plays around with that as well. One thing that Josh mentioned as we were working through this is Emperor's New Groove in the beginning has Cusco talking to the audience. You have Cusco literally stops the film and talks to the audience. Because he's presenting the story, the story as his defense. Look how good a guy I am and look how much I was victimized. And this gets toward the end of the movie when you've seen him be a jerk to basically everyone mm-hmm. around him. And he's at his lowest point And the narrator starts speaking up, narrator Cusco. Yeah. And Cusco in the movie says, just shut up because they've seen the whole thing. They, they know what happened. Yeah. They know what and happened. And it turns the film into kind of a weird inception meta, what have you, which Wit's interaction with the characters in the story sort of did that because Wit is a character. 
in the audio drama we are listening to, but we've been pulled out yeah, of he, that. Yeah, role. because he's no so longer with no longer with Tom and Connie and, Connie and, and all Harley, them. Yeah. So that was the only point where it was like, wait a second, what is going on here? But the rest of it worked out okay. There's also exaggeration all over the place in here. One thing, for example, is them exaggerating how poor they are. Yes. We sold the car to pay the electric like bill. No. We sold, sold the porch the... to pay for taxes. We sold the stove to pay for car insurance. Exactly. And so they have no porch. Well, Ethel falls because she forgets about the porch. And because they sold the porch. The, the front stoop, essentially. And for the rest of the show, everybody's stepping on Ethel, which leads to physical comedy. Nobody comes in or out of the house without some sort of, ow, that was my foot. Or she forgot about Ethel, who and... was still there. And... She steps on her and, oh, sorry, Ethel. Which always made me wonder, why did she lay there? Yeah, that's it's kind of even, one of those, okay. It's, a, it's an even more surreal joke than the rest of it. It's kind of bizarre. So, all of that to say, that whole scene, all of those jokes are set up in that one scene where they go from Madge not having any money to buy her guy a gift. To deciding, to deciding that she's going I, to she's gonna sell, go her sell her hair. And one of my favorite jokes comes in before she actually goes and sells her hair. Mm -hmm. The narrator says, or Wit says, that she had a dilemma that weighed heavily on her. You hear this? Womp! What a heavy dilemma! So the dilemma itself is a physical thing, and we hear it. Trust me, it's funny. Audio cues. Yeah, another fun thing they do with the audio cue is when she decides to go downtown, and she passes by Fishbein's Jewelers, and she sees this gorgeous watch chain that is perfect for Guy's watch. And they start playing Ode to Joy in the background. And she is dumbstruck. Wait, says she was dumbstruck. <laughs> she literally goes <laughs> to Mr. Fishbein's Jr., who's just coming up, and he's like, uh, what? Yeah. It's the kind of sound effect that in a Looney Tunes cartoon, someone does with their finger on their lips after they've been hit in the face with a frying pan. Yeah. This sequence actually has most of the fun audio cues because then... There's also fun sound effects. Like Yeah, he goes running in to check and it's like... And then came running back. And they do this whole exchange of, how much is that watch chain in the window? The one hanging up on the nail? I want that gold watch chain in the window. And you know they're referencing... I don't think that watch chain's for sale. Yeah, which is fun. I like when they do the fun referential stuff. So the chain costs exactly $20. And she loves it so much. She wants it so much for guys. She decides to go sell her hair. So she goes to Pops Top Notch Tops. Nice delivery. Thank you. And says, I hear you buy hair. Well, that depends, honey. Let's see the merchandise. And she pulls off her hat and he says... Hang on, honey, I'll get my shears. And then they break for a commercial. I'll get my checkbook, checkbook? is the line. Oh, okay. Hang on, honey, I'll get my checkbook. (laughs) And then they break for a commercial in the episode. And we'll be right back. And we're back. Madge has come out of Pop's Top Notch Tops. Nice delivery. Thank you. And they make a joke. She has a spring spring in in her step. step. Because she is about five pounds lighter. It goes back to Mr. Fishbein's and they're closed. So she's pounding on the door. Mr. Fishbein and... Let me in to buy the watch We have more meta humor. Didn't you hear the narrator? We're closed. Yeah. And it's actually Walker Edmonston, who plays Tom Riley, is Mr. Fishbein Sr. He's doing an impersonation of Henry Fonda. Which apparently was a thing that he did professionally as well. Like yeah. he was a sound alike to Henry Fonda. Things like that. But yeah, that explains they do references to this further on in the show, which is kind of fun. So anyway, he comes out, and again they do a whole "How much is that doggy in the window?" kind of reference about the watch chain. Mm-hmm. And she gets him to let her have it. And this was something that I didn't fully understand because my mom wore mascara, but not a ton. And so when she starts crying and he's like, oh, I can't stand it when a woman cries. All that blubbering mascara all over the place. I'm mm-hmm. thinking like, what is she dripping puddles of mascara? What is going on? That sounds disgusting. <laughs> it did sound disgusting. So he gets it for her, and they start having a kind of back-and-forth conversation, and it's almost like Abbott and Costello's who's on first. I want to buy this for my guy. Well, he says, this is the lucky guy who's getting this. Oh, you know him. What? 
My guy. guy. No, yeah. never met him. It but just you goes, just said his name. Whose name? Guy's name. Guy's name. Yeah. He's what like, guy? Yeah, and it goes on. And then he stops and he says, Mr. Narrator, I think we're going to be here a while, so can you move on? So we do a whole time cut. To go on to, to go the next on scene. To the next when she scene. gets home and Guy arrives at home. And she's wrapped the watch chain in wallpaper because they sold their wrapping paper for Yeah, she, so she tears the wallpaper off the wall. Walls. You hear this ripping right. sound. Guy comes home, voiced by Will Ryan. Will Ryan, and he doesn't recognize Madge. And she says, It's me, Madge. Oh, but Madge has a nice, perky personality. I have a nice, perky personality. Madge has a cute little smile. I have a cute little smile. Madge has beautiful long hair. I have a cute little smile. And this is actually a joke that I've talked multiple times about Jungle Jam. It's not an accident that this reminds me a lot of them because yeah. it's from the same writer. Yeah, well, and it's all the same tone we talked about. This. But there's a Jungle Jam joke that is really the exact same joke that I actually feel funny. works better. And this is kind of, I chalk it up to, again, the author growing as a writer. And it's a scene from, there's these creatures called Razzleflabins, live on Razzleflabin Island. They're going to be attacked by some kind of burly monsters. And they're trying to rally the troops, trying to mm -hmm. figure out how they're going to fight back. The joke goes, oh, they have sticks and stones. We can get sticks and stones. Well, they have clubs and chains. We can get clubs and chains. They have big bulging muscles. We can get clubs and chains. And the joke works better for me just because they're of, in mortal peril. Yeah, maybe it's just because it's a little bit darker. It feels more dangerous. Well, and and it also feels more futile. Yeah, yeah, it feels so weak. Ah, uh, we're sunk. <laughs> and we stand no chance. Yeah, it's funnier in the Jungle Jam one. But anyway. Moving on from that, then they open their gifts. And of course, you know, we talked about Guy had bought her combs for her hair and she had bought him this watch chain that he didn't have a watch for because he sold his watch. So that is very true to the story. Mm -hmm. And she's like, my hair will grow back. Do you really hate me without my hair? And he says, I would love you if you looked like Yul Brenner, which as a kid, I never got that joke. Yeah, because for anyone I, who doesn't know Yul Brenner, he's the guy from The King and I. He's The King and I. He's Daddy Warbucks in yeah. Annie. He's been in multiple other A famously films. bald Famous dude. for being bald, yeah. One of the two guys that are famous for being bald. Anyway, and then they go split a child's portion diet mini cheeseburger. Yeah, and that's how it ends. The actual short story ends with them, how about you put on the chops and yeah, let's have supper. Mm -hmm. But this one, to emphasize their poverty, I think, is let's go have the tiniest little tiny hamburger you think about that we the dollar cheeseburgers at McDonald's and splitting them. Smaller than that. Smaller than that. Well, you said the crystal Yeah, slider. like a little White Castle slider, and they're going to split that for their supper. <laughs> yeah. So that's the end of the story. And then we go back into Wit's End. Yeah. The story comes to an end, and then we're back with the actual Wit's End characters. And everyone's like, yeah, I get the point. Better to give than to receive. I actually think the O. Henry version ends just a little more poignant because, mm -hmm. and this is where the title of the story comes from, the gift of the Magi, the Magi being the wise men who brought gifts to the Christ child. Mm -hmm. The characters in the story, what he refers to as silly children, this young couple in love, he says that they are actually the wise ones. They are the Magi because they get it. They understand the value of giving and the love that they have, that is the wisest thing mm -hmm. that they can do. They are the magi mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of the story. Yeah. Which they do touch on that. It's not that Odyssey is taking the story and changing it. No. It's just not as rich as a short story. And then Lisa says, I think that was familiar. I'm not sure where I heard it. I think I heard it at church. Which was a really weird statement to well, me. Well, and Wit said, I hope you did. Yeah, this so, was weird to me. It felt almost shoehorned in, like, hey, remember, this is a Christian show, so we got to remind people of church or something. I wasn't sure exactly why, why that was there. And it there. felt, this is not the sort of thing that you would normally hear at church, because it's an American pop culture thing. Maybe if you're at the church that both of us grew up in would do this Christmas in the Round talent show kind of thing where everybody pitched in and did 
big skits and songs and stuff. But but that was like a it was a a tradition. It was a potluck dinner kind of thing. Yeah, it wasn't a worship service. It wasn't a Christmas service. If I went to a Sunday school or something. Yeah, if I went to a church and the pastor was preaching gift of the magi from the pulpit i would leave very serious problems yeah i would leave spiritually hungry i would be like where was the bible in this yeah so as much as i love this story which i do Mm -hmm. i just don't think sunday morning church service would be the place or sunday school material not really either so for her to say i think i heard it at church and for wit to just encourage that doesn't work for the kind of story that it is it would be much more more realistically she said i think i heard it at school yeah, or, hey, I kind of remember seeing a version of this on TV once, yeah. it being what it is. Yeah. So then the kids are done. They're ready for Mr. Redigar to put the star on top. So he puts the star on top, and they actually then Have a nice tie-in yeah. with the Magi. And he talks about the wise men following the star. And it's a very nice little tie things up with a bow, nod well, to the story. Too, without feeling trite. Right, yeah. And it leads into talking about the gospel. It's a very nice gospel. Yeah, it's a very short, very succinct. It talks about Jesus was the first Christmas present. God gave Jesus to the world, and it showed God's love for us. And it's kind of left at that. He doesn't go really deep into the nitty-gritty of what the incarnation is all about. But it's not bad for what it is. Mm -hmm. And then they sing, O Come All You Faithful. Yeah, which ends a goofy episode on a serious note because that's really kind of how the story wraps up them all standing around singing oh come all ye faithful i had flashbacks actually to the charlie brown christmas special they're singing park the herald jingle sing yeah at the the very end of the show it just ends with the kids all standing there singing but the seriousness works I thought so. It doesn't detract from... The goofiness does not detract from the seriousness, and the seriousness doesn't render the goofiness strange. No, they work together pretty well. Mm -hmm. So, all of that is great. Mm -hmm. And then we get up into the Chris Chris segment. And... uh, Everything falls apart. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sorry, everyone. I feel like more often than not, we end up having problems with this section. I feel bad being so negative, but we're going to have to be kind of negative here. Because just like there's... I mentioned the wacky stack. This bit is a problematic stack. And Chris makes this statement that wind up being like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Multiple problems here that we need to discuss. So... First, she's referencing back to... To the two genealogies. There's one in Matthew, and there's one in Luke 3. And aside from a few differences, this is what she said. They are two completely different lists of names. And then she references that at the end, and she said, it may seem like the answer would be really complicated, because how do you reconcile there being two different genealogies for Jesus in a book that has no mistakes, right? Because the Bible is the word of God. There should it's be an no mistakes. It's inerrant. It may seem like the answer would be very complicated, but the answer is actually very simple. Matthew is a list of Joseph's ancestors, and Luke is a list of Mary's ancestors. Easy, huh? Even if the Bible seems complicated, it actually is very simple. It has the answer to any question you could ask, and most of the times those answers are very simple. If we have faith and trust God will lead us to them. And that's the end, and then the music plays again. And so we've got, within two sentences, there's multiple things that we need to discuss here. So, like I said, I had gone and looked up those lists, and I remember being very confused because they didn't seem that different to me. If you compare the lists very carefully, they are the same up until you get to King David. And then the list in Luke follows David, Solomon, and his sons, and it goes down from there. The list in Matthew goes David, Nathan, his son, and his sons from there. And we have different names at that point. The list in Matthew goes from Abraham to Christ. The list in Luke goes from Adam to Christ. So the list in Luke is longer, but overall, it's about half different. So there are more than a, quote, few exceptions. Yeah, but all that said, they do wind up being different genealogies. Even if there is one name different, that would be enough to raise eyebrows and say, why is there this discrepancy between the two? 
However, so. it is true that scholars posit that maybe the list in Luke is the list of Mary's ancestors. However, Luke specifically says Jesus, the supposed son of Joseph, the son of the next guy, the next guy, the next guy. So it seems like Luke is saying this is a list of Joseph's ancestors. Yeah, both of them say, seem to say Joseph. Why then would scholars say it could be a list of Mary's ancestors? There is a couple possibilities. We went and had to look this up, by the way. We're about to drop some very difficult scholarly stuff on you, and we had to do some research on this. And I'm not entirely sure about which theory is correct. Scholars have multiple theories. Nobody on... has come down on a specific, this is why we have two different genealogies. This is an area in which scholars are divided, and there's not been any conclusion, really. Mm -hmm. So one theory does say that one of the genealogies is Mary, the other one is Joseph. It's and difficult, though. I didn't though. see any evidence given why that would be the case no and it becomes more difficult because both genealogies reference joseph specifically by name yes and the they way culturally joseph things worked in those days you wouldn't count the mother's genealogy it would all be through the father the genealogy in matthew actually is unique in that it specifically names tamar rahab ruth and mary within the genealogy that, yeah, even yeah. just to reference women would have been not Very common in that yeah, culture. Yeah, not common there. Anyway, so it doesn't make sense in that culture for Luke to be giving a whole list of Mary's ancestry. So another possible theory that is given is that Joseph had two fathers, which sounds physically impossible yes. because it is yes. physically impossible. But... Here's a couple of cultural things. And keep in mind, we don't have any actual evidence of these. These are pure speculation. Yes. But maybe possible. So one of them would be that perhaps Mary's father had no sons. And when Mary and Joseph got married, he her father Joseph. adopted Joseph. And so that he would have the inheritance and, and that, all that. And that, in a way then allows for one of the, the genealogies, one of the genealogies to, be to be Mary's genealogy. Another or, possible one would be the Leverite marriage. So if you read the book of Ruth, that is a example of a Leverite marriage where a man dies before he has any children and his widow marries his brother. And the first child from that marriage is the dead man's heir. So somewhere in there, if Joseph's biological father was actually his uncle and his mother's first husband had died, then he could be heir to his biological father and his mother's it, first husband. It gets sticky. And so, this goes back to culture and to yes. Hebrew law, actually. Yes. This is in the Old Testament. It was a way to Testament. protect women, to protect widows. And to protect family lines yes. and property and all of that. Yes. So what we could wind up with, one, be his actual biological lineage mm -hmm. and the other one be his his mother's first husband's lineage yeah be his legal lineage legal if you lineage. will yeah there is a final possibility and that is that the matthew genealogy is focusing on the royal lineage the direct royal lineage of david because if you read the whole book of matthew he is emphasizing Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the new Davidic king, the fulfillment of out of Egypt I have called my son, all of these various Old Testament passages that he makes reference to. He is very specifically showing Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Christ so, as Messiah. Christ as Messiah. So it kind of makes sense, if you think about it, this might work as the royal lineage. The line of kings. The line of kings. And then the thought is that the Luke passage is Joseph's actual biological. biological line, which does go all the way up to David, but David through another son of his, Nathan, rather than Solomon. So, so here's the point, though. We do not know exactly which of these is true, and ultimately... It is not necessary for salvation, and therefore it's okay that there is... There's difference, difference and disagreements in interpretation. The point of all of this that we want to illustrate in regard to what Chris said is that she presents it as being very cut and dried and very simple. 
And it's not. And either it of those things. Obviously. We've just spent, what, 15 minutes maybe talking about all of the different disagreements that biblical scholars have about these particular passages. And they're all inconclusive. Nobody has come to a conclusion about it. So while the gospel is very simple and very mm -hmm. approachable and comprehensible to even the smallest child, the Bible itself can be very complicated. And to say the Bible is mostly very simple is to set people up for frustration and failure. And disappointment. And disappointment. And, and because supposing you're a kid, this is for kids, you're reading the Bible and you have questions and you have doubts and there's things that you don't understand. And if somebody tells you, oh, it's so simple, then you start wondering, well, what's wrong with me? Why am I having difficulty? And that's a barrier to reading the Bible and, and trying learning. to understand it and learning and understanding that what the Bible is for and this goes to the second thing she said, that the Bible has the answer to almost, not almost, she says, to any question you could ask, which is it's, too broad a statement. It's not true. And it's not true. It's not what the Bible is for. So the statement itself makes it sound like the Bible is a repository for all knowledge ever. It's an oracle. You go to the Bible and you it, find the answer to anything. And it doesn't work that way. Number one, it doesn't even have all of the information there is to know about God. You can't contain God yeah. within the pages of the Bible. It has all of the information we need to know about God in order to be saved. I feel like God gives us his word, and he gives us knowledge of himself on a need-to-know basis. Yeah. There's a lot about him that he's like, you just don't need to know that. I'm bigger and more powerful and more everything than you can possibly imagine. Who are you, oh man? Yeah, well, it, and there's lots of, now we see in A Mirror Darkly, our knowledge is growing. You know, and one day we will we will understand more. More, maybe not everything, because God is still God and we are not. But the Bible is not everything there is to know about God and everything there is to know about everything. About, God has about, given us His world to learn mm -hmm. and yeah, science it's, it's, and it's music like and mathematics a ton of other and, and, stuff that the Bible doesn't even talk about. Yeah. So, so to claim that it's the source of all knowledge is, again, it's too broad a statement. Mm -hmm. We had issues with that. So the final thing we had an issue with, the Bible is not the source of all knowledge. And she says, the Bible is the answer to any question you might have if you have faith that God will lead you to it. Okay, what does she mean by faith? Yeah, we need and to what, talk about what talk faith, faith means. Because faith is not this blind wishing that is oftentimes presented. We have this kind of pop culture version of faith. I mentioned earlier the movie The Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. And in one breath, I can laud it as a comedy from my childhood that I loved. And in another breath, I'm going to say, from a worldview standpoint, it and basically every other movie like it presents a false view of what faith is. I call it the Santa Claus faith. Mm -hmm. Miracle on 34th Street, Elf. Basically, you have a major plot point where otherwise rational adults need to get past their doubt and simply believe in Santa Claus. And then the magic of Christmas pours into their hearts and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And faith is not like that. That's a straw man version of faith. I've had talks with particularly belligerent atheists. Well, do you believe in Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy? No, because I'm not a moron. I do believe in God. You're talking apples and oranges here. Faith in God is a reasonable proposition. An illustration would be if I sit in a chair, I have faith that it will hold me up. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't see the future. I have no concrete proof that the chair won't break five minutes from now. But I know how chairs are structured. I've sat in chairs before and they've held me up. It is reasonable and rational for me to believe that this chair will continue to hold me five minutes, ten minutes into the future, however long. Faith is not the slave of logic, but neither is it contrary to logic. Right. And this is not to discount the working of the Holy Spirit. The working of the Holy Spirit within the hearts of Christians works faith in us. But it's not just a, oh, I have this feeling or I have had an out-of-body experience. What the Holy Spirit is take our knowledge, our head knowledge of 
all that we've been taught, all that we've been learning, and brings it down into our hearts and makes us certain of that which we cannot see, that which we have no personal experience of. No Christian living today saw Jesus put their finger in holes in his hands, but we believe that happened because we have read it in the Bible and because the Holy Spirit has convinced us of its truth. Yeah. And it's a working together. It is a head and heart. Hand heart thing. Yeah. This is faith seeking understanding. That's the thing with faith is that it needs to be based in something. And to claim otherwise, I will never tell an unbelieving friend, just believe. Because to do so is intellectually dishonest. Mm -hmm. You can't believe in something until you become convinced of its truth. Mm -hmm. You believe in the gospel when the Holy Spirit touches your heart and you see the scales fall off your eyes. Mm -hmm. You understand some degree of what you're reading and Christ speaks to you. That all sounds very metaphysical. And maybe it is. <laughs> there, there's, well, there's there's a mystery there. Yes. Behold, but, I tell you a mystery. But at the same time, you need that foundation in order to get into more complicated stuff. It's yes. like math. You start with two plus two equals four before you, you go in before you go into something like trigonometry or calculus. Mm-hmm. If you have a faulty starting point and you try to do a calculus problem, then of course you're going to get the wrong result after that because you didn't even get two plus two equals four right. Mm -hmm. So, and the same thing works with stuff like this, the complexities of faith Mm -hmm. or the mysteries of the Bible or whatever. You need to start from a point of here are the things I know to be true. And then I can start wrestling with the question marks. Yes. Yes. And And, And also recognizing that you might not find the answer. Yeah, okay. and learning to be okay with that. Yes. And learning that some of these things are mysterious and some of them are difficult. Not all of them, but embracing that to a certain degree. You don't need to be certain of everything all the time. The more you learn, the more you grow, you can become certain or more certain of certain things, but then you'll learn something else yeah. and that might it, make it yes. more difficult. Talk to any Christian who has been a Christian for a long time and they will tell you I am still learning I am still exploring the Bible and again I love the medieval so I'm bringing another one here St. Augustine of Hippo talks about the Bible being so wonderfully layered that a small child can read it and understand it and yet it presents seemingly new but more things for you to learn and discover as you continue to read it and meditate on it and study it as you grow in your faith mm-hmm. With that, I guess we're done. I think so. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being a part of this conversation. If you want to continue the conversation, you can email us at serpentanddovespecfic. That is S-P-E-C-F-I-C, as in speculative fiction. Not S-P-E-C-K, like a spec. Yeah, at gmail.com. And let us know your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. If you have questions, we'd try to answer them, depending on what they are. Yeah. And, and uh, follow the affiliate link in the notes to Audible right. and Don't get your free trial. Don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. Rate it. Subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for hanging out with us. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.